When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Flying Solo Podcast, a show for those going it alone in business. If you're working solo or have dreams of starting up, you'll find support, inspiration and advice at Australia's largest and liveliest small business community. Find us at flyingsolo.com.au or join us on Facebook. Here's your host, Robert Gerrish. Hello all and welcome to another Flying Solo Podcast brought to you with the support of Work Your Way, our new online course, The Complete Guide to Going It Alone. Head to soloism.com to sample some of the 80 plus videos. And if you like what you see, and gosh, we hope you will, use the promo code PODCAST for a special podcast listener discount. Okay, now I'm delighted to be talking with Amantha Imber who heads up Inventium, an innovation consultancy with offices in Melbourne and Sydney. I happen to know the Sydney office rather well, as Flying Solo shares the same delightful space. I just think we're a good deal quieter, Amantha. I don't know what it is about uh, innovation, but uh, very excited and very lively bunch in there. So look, it's great to have you with us, Amantha. Thank you for sharing your time with us. My pleasure to be here. Okay, so look, what, I, what I'd love to talk about today, I know that in your business, in Inventium, you spend most of your time sort of stirring up creative thinking and nurturing innovation for the bigger end of town. But I also know that there's a very firm place in your heart for the uh, little end of town. So what I'd love to have a look at is if in our small businesses, we really want to kind of unearth Uh, and generate some innovation in what we do. Let's imagine we're doing it perhaps in a group of sort of two or three or four or five of us. How do we go about that process? How do we kind of find those areas that need innovating in our work? Well, most people think incorrectly that innovation begins with ideas like a spark of inspiration or one of those aha moments and and nothing could be further from the truth. So Mm. the best place to start is actually trying to identify what are the things that frustrate your customers because if we can identify frustrations and then if we can focus our innovation efforts around solving or alleviating those frustrations, that's um, there's a pretty good chance that, that our customers will value that and um, part with money or time or whatever you're hoping for them to exchange. Mm. Okay, so that, that's interesting That's because it's so often the case, isn't it, that, that we do think, oh, yes, I'm an innovator because I've got all these great ideas. But basically, a great idea is pretty worthless in business unless it is solving some kind of problem for the people that we're trying to sell our products or services to. So, Let's imagine we're sort of sitting there then and we're saying, okay, so we want to innovate, we want to find new ways of doing things. How do we, you know, how do we kind of get into it? What do we do? We start pulling apart the thinking of our customers? Well, after we've identified that that big customer frustration that we want to solve, we want to mm. clearly uh, articulate it as, as a challenge so that we're really focused on 
what it is that we're trying to achieve here. Then one way to deliberately think creatively is start to think about what are all the assumptions that you have about that problem. So assumptions might be real, like, you know, our budget to solve this problem is, um, you know, $500 or $1,000 or maybe a bit more, or assumptions can be perceived as well. And right. essentially assumptions fence in our thinking, like, um, you know, that they basically say to our thoughts, you can only wander in this little area here. So what we want to do, we want to identify those assumptions and we want to crush them one by one. Right. So asking, what if the opposite was true? And by asking that question, you you can't help but produce really interesting breakthrough creative thinking. Okay, so basically just what you're saying, don't be constrained, don't be fenced in, as you say, don't be fenced in by any of our kind of traditional thinking or our traditional approach. It's just flip every one of those on its head and go, yeah, well, what if that wasn't the case? Then what's possible? That sort of scenario. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's sort of mm. almost identifying the rules that, that are governing your thinking and and breaking those rules very deliberately. Um, so like as a very kind of simple example, like if, if you look at the iPhone and, you know, you think back mm. 10 or 15 years back when Nokia dominated the mobile phone industry and if you were designing a mobile phone back then, an assumption that would govern your thinking is that a mobile phone has to have 12 buttons. Otherwise, how else right. would you make a call? And Apple obviously crushed that and said, well, what if a mobile phone only had one button on it? What could that look like? Mm. So that's, that's just, you know, one example of, um, of many crushed assumptions that exist in the innovation space. Yeah, I'm not going to grace example. And presumably driven in that instance by the sort of customer desire to have a bigger screen. So it's like, mm. how do we have a unit that kind of fits in our pocket that's got a big screen, but that doesn't have, you know, that, that isn't, you know, restrained by everything else that has to be on there. And then somebody clearly thought, well, what about if the keypad wasn't there, which is genius, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, so we we do this, the phrase you use is, is crush assumptions. So we sort of pull those apart. What's the kind of next step in the process? So let's say we're doing that. Presumably, if you're, I know you do this a lot with, with corporates, it, presumably a lot of fairly zany ideas kind of come out, things that are just, you know, pretty mad. How do you, as a, as a group or in your case as a facilitator, how do you kind of cope with those kind of things? Mm. Yeah, something I, I, I always say to our clients is that it's so much easier to rein in a really crazy idea than to make a boring idea interesting. So, um, so I really encourage people not not to be not to be scared of ideas that just seem logistically impossible. Like there's always a way, or there's always a way of of kind of reining it back in and and making it possible. Um, but do be afraid of boring ideas because they're very hard to, um, you know, make better. Uh, so, so that's the advice I give there. Um, and, and then of course, like once you've got your ideas, it, it then comes time to, to making decisions. And that there are lots of things that, that we talk about to our clients in terms of how to get the most out of your brain and how our brain naturally is geared to make good decisions. But one right. simple piece of advice um, is that when you're making decisions about which ideas to progress and which to leave behind, you want to make those decisions um, earlier in the day rather than sort of in the afternoon or evening. Because um, what, what happens, all our brains, I guess, are a, a victim to this concept called decision fatigue, which hmm. the basic tenet of decision fatigue is that the more decisions we make over the course of a day, the worse the quality of our decisions become. It's almost like we've got this battery for decision making and it just gets eaten away at all day. Right. So, okay. so and, and, and the implications of decision fatigue is that it, it basically leads you to take the easy way out. Mm. Um, 
and you just can't afford to do that on the topic of innovation. Uh, so, so really, when when you're um, you know sitting around potentially with a group of fellow business owners and you're thinking about you know which ideas do you want to pursue, make sure you have that conversation first thing in the morning um, rather than towards the end of the day. Okay, that's a great tip. And then presumably also if you are starting to generate those ideas and then as you say your next step is to kind of make some decisions about them, presumably, and I'm guessing this is what you might need to do occasionally, is you'll stop the meeting there and you'll pick up again the next day. Is that kind of how you do it? That's exactly right. So when when we're running workshops, for example, I mean a lot of people – you know, have, have participated in full day workshops where you spend the morning generating ideas and then the afternoon is all about making decisions. And that's a really poor structure for a workshop. So when when we run workshops, we really only run them from from 9am till 1pm. So right. we'll generate ideas on the first morning and then we'll come back the following morning and that's when we'll make decisions. How interesting. Okay, so let's imagine then again using our sort of our little scenario of, of three or four solo businesses getting together. So they've gone through this first process and now confronted, let's say, imagine they're sort of focusing on, on one business. Um, and we've now got a kind of raft of ideas, some that appear a bit little crazy, some that appear a little dull. Um, how do we then move? What's the next stage? You know, when you let's imagine we, you know, you, you've been there with us, facilitating with us, and now you've gone off into the sunset and said, "See you tomorrow." So we, <laughs> so we were kind of back again the next morning. We've got these ideas in front of us. How then do we structure our sort of decision making? So what we want to do now um, is is we do want to select the the most promising idea and really taking it back to the problem that we set out to solve and which one is providing the best solution. And based on what you think, the next stage is moving through to a stage that we call experimentation, which Mm -hmm. um, for for me is like by far one of the most critical parts of the innovation process because what happens too often is that people identify an idea they want to progress and then they'll just implement it. Like they'll, they'll spend time and money both of which are incredibly precious for for solo Hmm. business people and they will see what happens and and that is an incredibly risky way to approach innovation so instead what we want to do is we want to take the idea or the ideas if there are a few that that we're thinking show promise and really provide a great solution to the to the customer problem we started with and we want to run an experiment and what that means um, is basically applying scientific method, or some people might have heard of the term lean startup methodology, yep. to testing how this idea will actually go. So the first step involved is thinking about what are the hypotheses or things that you, you, you're kind of um, assuming to be true or the leaps of faith that you're kind of taking and thinking this idea is going to add value to the customer. So we want to literally list out all of those hypotheses, all of those things that we're thinking, yeah, I think the customer will value my idea because of X, Y, and Z. And okay, so these are all the all yeah. the positive hypotheses, not necessarily anything negative. Uh, look, they're just they're kind of just factual. Like you okay. know, I believe that customers will pay fifty dollars for this idea. Okay, it's kind got of you. Almost yep. like your your guesses, if okay. you like things that you're guessing, yep. um, because we need to test those guesses before we actually. Um, launch the idea or, mm. or put some serious money behind it. So, so once we've got those guesses or those hypotheses, we then want to design 
what, what lean startup theorists would call a minimum viable product yep. or an MVP. And that's basically like a, a, the most basic version of your idea that you can design that will still allow you to test your hypotheses. So, you know, it, it might be building like um, a simple one-page landing site, um, you know, on, on Strikingly, which sure. is um, okay. yeah, very cheap and easy software where, where anyone that doesn't know how to code can build a, a landing page. Gotcha. Uh, or it might be yeah. just running a very simple ad on Google Ads just so you yeah. can see what the response is. That's exactly right. Okay. That's exactly right. And and we want to design an experiment around that. Um, so an experiment that will that will show cause and effect. Like um, you know, if it is like creating an AdWords campaign and driving people to a landing page that maybe describes the idea and has a buy now button, we want to think about well, how many people would we need to click that buy now button to feel like a hypothesis has been supported? Um, and so what that means is that you're really testing customer behaviour in a really cheap um, and mm. quick manner. Like you shouldn't be spending more than a few hundred dollars, uh, you know, on, on testing um, a hypothesis before you actually proceed and, and move to launching or implementing an idea. So it's a critical stage. There's obviously like, you know, there, there's a lot more to it than what I've described, but in really simple terms, you set a hypothesis, you create an MVP and design an experiment and analyze your results and iterate the idea off the back of those results. Yeah. Okay. Terrific. I remember hearing a great interview recently with um, a guy who started one of the, the first sort of big online shoe sales businesses. And his his uh, version of minimum viable product was that he basically took orders on this landing page that he created. And if anybody bought anything, he rushed downstairs to the high street, bought a pair of shoes and sent them off from, you know, by buying them from another shop. So he had no stock and he made no money, but at least he was seeing, testing the principle of are people going to buy shoes like this? So, okay, that's a great example then. So we go into, uh, yours is a great example anyway. Um, so we go into that sort of MVP idea. Now, just out of interest, how successful is it to get people in the tall buildings, the corporates, to get into this concept of doing something uh, as a kind of a test market? Do you find them quite receptive? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. I mean, look, for, for corporates, anything that's going to help de-risk innovation uh, and and reduce the the huge amount of resources that can be wasted on poor methodology um, is is very appealing. I would say you know literally every week someone from my team is working with a big corporate somewhere in the world to help them run experiments. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it must be so liberating for those those individuals as well to find, gosh, we can actually do something without having to fill in all these requests and forms and processes <laughs> and systems to do it. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we do that. We run our sort of MVP. We, we test and presumably this obviously is a very good way for us to kind of sort out the fly, the things that are going to fly and the things that aren't. And then presumably there's a stage of kind of crafting, polishing, refining after that? Yeah, there is. There is. And and experimentation can help you do that because you'll, you'll probably have guesses about, um, you know, how – how, how do we like refine this part of the idea or that part of the idea? So experimentation helps a lot there, um, you know, as does just some hard work and, sure. and thinking things through. So that's exactly right. And, and then, you know, by that stage, like after you've run a few experiments, you should be feeling pretty confident um, that if, if the idea has kind of gone through all those experiments well, that, that you're really onto something. But equally, if if the experiments have failed and the hypotheses haven't been supported, then that's great learning as well. And it's actually stopped you from wasting lots of time and money um, 
you know, which is just so precious. Sure. So in, and in that scenario, it's either kind of back to the drawing board, start the process from the beginning or have a look at some mm. of your other ideas that you might have buried rather prematurely, presumably. We go, mm. we, we go back and kind of start the process again, more or less. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And um, so in a, in a small business, and I know that your business, you know, you, you started as a very, very small business. How regularly do you suggest we sort of take ourselves through this innovation process? Is it something that should become part of our kind of business makeup? Should it be something that we're doing on a very regular basis? Presumably, we don't just want to wait until business is being challenged before we do it. Mm. I, I think, uh, you know, the, the rules for me are, are different when, when you're a small business or, or a micro business or mm. a, a solopreneur compared to, I guess, you know, what it is when you've got more resources at your disposal. Um, certainly, I, I strongly believe that, that all businesses, no matter your size, you always need to be thinking about incremental innovation, like how, how can you you know, keep on improving things for your customers, but also keep on improving how you do things internally. Like, you know, always, always kind of, you know, looking at, at making your internal processes more efficient and the way you work more efficient again, because like time is the one thing that we can't get any more of. Mm. Um, so, so therefore it does, it deserves, um, you know, attention, how efficiently we're able to do things that are part of our business in terms of the larger projects that, that do require, um, that, that are more resource intensive, essentially, if you're going to add that onto your business offering. It, it does come down to time and how much time you actually want to spend on these things. Like at Inventium, we've got about 15 people on the team. Uh, we we would typically be working on sort of one or two like very significant you know, outside of the core business projects, I guess, per year. Um, we've, we've found that that, that that seems to work relatively well in terms of just okay. what we can manage from, from um, you know, yeah, okay. the, the, a resource capacity perspective. Yeah, okay. So I guess what you're saying is it's really up to each business to, to kind of determine what it can cope with. But, I, but another point that you touched on there, which is such a good one, is that, you know, so often when we think of innovation, we think of the sort of, <clears throat> the front end selling or the product or service that we're selling but actually as you suggested there a, a large part of uh, where the benefit of innovation can come in is easing friction is, is is simplifying processes is making it just easier for people to buy from you easier for you to service and satisfy demand you know it's not always at the kind of front of house is it that's exactly right exactly mm. okay and tell me how just how um, adept, how well suited do you think solar businesses are to innovation? Oh, so well suited. Like that, they just don't have any of the any of the big challenges that um, that the kind of big companies that we tend to work with face. Like, there's no bureaucracy. The buck stops with you. There's no time lag on getting things approved and waiting for decision makers to, to say yes or no. Um, you're in charge of budgets. You've got complete control. The speed at which you move can be very quick and nimble because mm. it's just you. So there's just such a huge advantage um, to, to solo um, soloists like um, pursuing innovation, a massive advantage. Fantastic. Okay, well, look, thank you, Amantha, so much for sharing your time with us. Now, I know that... Um, Inventium are running some workshops during the month of May. So where can we find out more about that? 
That's exactly right. So towards the end of May, we're actually running a couple of workshops in Melbourne and Sydney that are all about experimentation. So unpacking that and it's a really practical day teaching you how to run experiments for your business. So if you um, easiest way to find it, if you hop onto Eventbrite uh, and just search for Inventium, um, which is Invent with an IUM on the end, uh, you'll see uh, two experimentation deep dives. And for um, any listeners, I've created a code. Uh, it's Solo25, so S-O-L-O-25, and that will get you a 25% discount off the ticket price. Terrific. Amantha, thank you so much. And look, before I go, uh, please don't forget to check out Work Your Way, our new online course. The place to go is soloism.com. And don't forget to use the promo code PODCAST for a nice little intro discount. So Amantha, thank you so much for uh, introducing innovation to the solo business community. And uh, certainly we'll check out your workshops. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And that's where we'll leave this show from Flying Solo and your host, Robert Gerrish. We'd love to receive feedback, even a brief review for those listening via iTunes. If you're planning to start a business or rejuvenate the one you're in, check out our bestseller, Flying Solo, How to Go It Alone in Business. It includes everything we know about working on your own. And of course, we invite you to dive into the resources and supportive community at flyingsolo.com.au.